Welcome to the five things this week in social. Each week, we bring you five stocking stuffer social stories from every platform on your list. So that way, you are always up to speed. This week, we have Kane Fair, Gray's Group Director of Social and Influencers, and introducing Natalie McGee, a social media manager from Tank New York. Hello, Kane. How are you? Happy December, Joey. It is December. Did you take part in the weekend of commerce after Thanksgiving? I did. Big time, actually. I hit Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Like, I think for the first time in my life, I actually planned on buying some things during those days. So it was a little stressful, but I think I, I came out on top. All uh, online? Or did you actually go do some doorbusters? No, no, all online. I, I didn't fight the crowds at Walmart. Fortunately, <laughs> we wouldn't have held it against you if you did. And Natalie, hello. Hello, hello. Natalie, what is your gift buying strategy this year? Do you get it all done early or do you wait till the last minute? You guys, I am a chronic procrastinator. I am waiting. I'm going to try to get ahead of it this year, but I don't know. We'll see. Well, good luck. I'm Joey Scarillo, and I am notoriously an early shopper. I love a deal, and more so, I just love checking things off my list. Speaking of lists, here are the five things. First, Kane tells us about Twitter, powering back up Birdwatch. Then Natalie informs us of a new study that highlights the most commonly shared life events on TikTok and Instagram. Then Kane talks TikTok, who polished their marketing partner's platform... Then Natalie breaks down Pinterest and the end of its creator rewards program. And finally, Kane will chat about Snapchat and the rising AR. All right, friends, let's get into it. Kane, kick us off with Twitter and Birdwatch. Actually, what was formerly known as Birdwatch has now been changed to Community Notes. Um, I think pre-Elon days, Birdwatch, which was announced in January 2021, was their fact-checking program that invited contributors to flag potentially misleading information in tweets and then follow up and provide those notes and context that would make them um, valid. So the company explained that while contributors were able to write these notes proposing that context be added to a, a tweet or explaining why a tweet was, wasn't misleading and didn't need the additional context via a conversation, the latter type of the note generated this noisy rating data, so Twitter paused scoring those notes. So... Removing those notes or the noise of low-quality notes and improving contributor helpfulness scores with more data to the tweets that have really provided a more impact and a different shift to how they're approaching the formerly known Birdwatch and now community notes. So these low-quality scores equals notes that are really found not helpful by a wide range of people, including people who typically just disagree with each other. This provides kind of this one-sided outcome of someone coming in and validating a tweet and then having it spark a larger conversation that just brings together people that maybe already just disagree on a topic altogether. I think that when I saw Birdwatch actually get axed a couple months ago with the, the cut of people at Twitter, I was quite shocked. So I'm super excited to see that they've revamped this, obviously with a new name and a new face with the Elon Musk shift. But I think this is one of those places that's super important for Twitter to focus on because as we know in the past, Twitter has been a place for fake news, and Twitter has been a place that gets information out there that may not be the most accurate information. 
So as much as they can do in updating this algorithm to power this community notes update is going to be super beneficial for the platform and also just bring more validity to the tweets that we're reading uh, on a daily basis. Natalie, how important is this feature for Twitter with its function? And do you think users appreciate it? Yeah, I mean, definitely, like Kane was saying, I think it's it's really interesting and kind of like integral part to Twitter. I think it's also interesting to look at it through the lens of like bringing together these parties that may be traditionally more polarized and allowing for that conversation in free space, which is, you know, what Twitter is all about. Kane, how do you think this moves forward? As I said in a previous podcast, I think one way that they need to really focus on this additive is to get people that are very, very knowledgeable in specific high impact topics to go in and start reading these tweets through the algorithm and making sure that what is being said, especially by these high power individuals, is actually accurate. We've talked about this in politics, you know, when it comes down to even like I'm a big guy when it comes to sports and that you'll see people talking about sports trades all the time on Twitter and like all these things that people are saying are real, are this, are, are accurate. Sometimes they are not, but a lot of times people, because they are reading tweets and it's going through their feed in a blink of an eye, they don't know if it's real, they don't know if it's not. So if they can actually come in and have people that are constantly looking at these high-profile individuals that are putting a lot of eyeballs on their tweets and making sure what they're saying is accurate, I think it's all for the better. Yeah, context is everything. All right, let's jump into some more fun things. Let's talk about a new study that highlights the most commonly shared life events on Instagram and TikTok. Natalie, take us through it. Yes. So a new report came out from Confused.com that highlights the top 10 types of content posted to Instagram and TikTok. This study took a look at milestones, you know, maybe moving out of your parents' house, marriage, first child, even took a look at like how conversation around death is happening and compare them to the most posted about or commonly tagged, most viewed moments across Instagram and TikTok in the U.S. and a variety of other markets. The study showed that the top 10 posted about moments on Instagram and TikTok included, you know, these major life events on Instagram, the top three being, you know, a wedding, birthdays and baby showers, and the top three on TikTok being birthday, pregnancy and a separation slash breakup. And, you know, these I think are pretty intuitive. Like we can assume that people are posting about these major life events on these platforms, but it just kind of tells us a little bit more about you know, how our audiences are interacting organically across platforms. This is really interesting. Not super surprising. You know, when you think about the con- like a wedding, for example, right? It's your wedding day, it's probably the most expensive day of your life. Of course, you're going to want to share about it on uh, TikTok and Instagram. Uh, but I'm curious for you, Kane, any surprises? Did you expect to see death on this list? That's a morbid question. But honestly, yeah. People want to share the highs and the lows. I mean, that's what we see on a lot of these platforms are built for. They're pulling out that emotional, that authentic person that's behind. Them. I mean, a lot of the times, at least sometimes they're, they have a little bit of a face in front of them for those influencers that are out there and have a brand behind them. But when you're the normal individual like, like myself, I'm using those platforms specifically to highlight moments in my life or bring news and updates to family members that I can't reach on a super easy daily basis. None of these really surprise me. Birthday is huge, you know, whether it be celebrating other friends or yourself. I mean, that's the least shocking one I saw. Pregnancy, huge. I think one area, at least for my age, I've seen just so many posts about is like the, I guess it would be coming down the 
the route of uh, pregnancy or having a baby. It's just when you, I wonder what the breakout of age demographics are for these, because you'll hit your 18s to 25s. It's probably all around birthdays and, and all around like celebrations. And then as you get a little bit older, it shifts to marriages and babies. Then you get a little bit older and it shifts to buying a house and celebrations some more. And it's just a really interesting flow of how people are at a, at a demographic are using these platforms, but none of these are really surprising. I think these are all pretty accurate. It's really interesting to see the, the layout and ranking of them though. It is. And speaking of age, that also makes me wonder, do you think Natalie in 10 years, right? When, when Gen Z is a little bit older, that these numbers will shift. Do you think Gen Z puts the same social weight on the same things that millennials do? I mean, to that point about age, you know, we look at the breakdown between the top three categories and even the wording of the top three categories on TikTok as compared to Instagram. TikTok in the top three was separation or breakup as opposed to, you know, listed on Instagram in the top 10 was divorce. So I think that kind of speaks to like the, you know, demographics that are interacting across platforms. And, you know, there is probably potential for this to shift in, you know, 10 years from now, you know, as like Gen Z and millennials interact differently across platforms. But yeah, time will tell. It's interesting to look at. Definitely something to keep track of, especially for marketers. Um, all right, let's stick around with TikTok. Let's jump over to Kane telling us about how they're polishing up their marketing partners platform. Yes, this one is, in my mind, music to marketers' ears, especially with the rise in TikTok and, and it being such a dominant platform for content creation and how brands are getting their, their name and products out there. So last week, TikTok unveiled this uh, update to its marketing partners website or its marketing partners platform, which now includes about 180 endorsed providers from over 35 nations who can really help and provide a brand or an individual assistance with all aspects of your marketing process on TikTok. Um, They first announced the marketing partner site back in 2020 and has really expanded its listing with a variety of creative or advertising or technical tools to help businesses make the most out of their um, efforts on TikTok to reach their audiences, to create the best types of content. So within this website, they've separated the website out into six different categories that you can go dive into that allow you to get expert assistance, not only for the platform, but also for a category. They have you know, everything from e-commerce to creativity to campaign management and marketing to sound. So you're able to dive into each one of those areas. And there's uh, kind of a, uh, an example showcase or library that's within them. So you can get inspiration, but you can also go and actually have a conversation or tap into resources that dive deeper into those topics so you can make the most out of your TikTok presence and campaign based off of the topics that they have available. This not only allows you to see creative examples, but it also gives you a directory to all of the partners available through the platform. So you can go in you know, and tap through the available assistance partners. And as marketers, this is huge because it's going to be a resource for us to tap into and really ensure that what you're creating on one of the most popular platforms ever is resonating with your audiences, is standing out, is being... Um, it is interesting and it just is a great resource for us to even go through for inspiration, let alone being able to tap into the resources that they have on site. Yeah, Natalie, I'm excited to ask you about this as a social media manager working with so many marketers. What feature here do you think really jumps out? Like what's going to be the most helpful for marketers as they create their plans and move forward? 
That's a great question. I think in terms of like looking at it from a marketer's standpoint, the idea of measuring and like the new tools that are coming out with measurement will be really interesting as we move to, you know, push brands to activate on TikTok. I think TikTok is a really exciting space for brands. And I think for a little bit, it was also kind of the wild, wild west, right? And now brands are kind of coming around. They're excited. They want to, you know, learn how to best leverage TikTok. I think the ability to measure a campaign will be a really big selling point for brands trying to activate on um, TikTok. I also think the sound, like expert assistance in sounds and using trending audio will be really interesting as well. Yeah, that's such an important thing for brands, especially when you think about TikTok. I mean, we argue on this show all the time that TikTok is as much an audio platform as it is a video platform. So very interesting to see where this goes. Uh, wonderful that TikTok is really investing in these resources for marketers. All right, let's get into Pinterest and the end of their creator rewards program. Natalie, tell us about this. What happened over at Pinterest? So on Wednesday, uh, November 30th, Pinterest shuttered its creator rewards program. The rewards program provided funds for creators developing on Pinterest. They basically, it was a monetary means for, you know, creators to develop content and kind of a tool to keep creators on platform. So essentially the creator rewards program activated with the creators on Pinterest and would provide varying monthly incentives for Pinterest users, Pinterest creators to develop like Pinterest version of stories that was kind of like their foray into the video content space. So this has kind of closed. It will no longer be offering its creator rewards program. And as said that it's continuing to refine its creator rewards program, as we've seen with tons of platforms that have tried to keep creators on platform by providing funds and a means for them to develop their content. Kane, does this mean that there are fewer creators going to Pinterest? I'd assume so. I think there's many more avenues currently available for people to create video content beyond Pinterest that are going to get them a bigger reward, but both financially and engagements and reach for their, their own brand, or whether that be a personal brand or, or an actual brand. My thoughts on this are, I always say the better content that we can have as a user, the better off we will all be. And I think the only way to do that now in this day and age is for these platforms to find ways to incentivize and pay these creators to stay on their platforms and create the best types of content. I think the past month specifically, every, I want to say almost every one of the main open social platforms has taken a stab at updating this and figuring out a way to keep users on their platforms. YouTube just did it. We talked about that a couple of weeks back where they are now opening up a way for their content creators to not only get payments from YouTube, but payments from their user base. I personally love Pinterest. I think that's slightly abnormal for a 30s male to, to love, but I think it's one of those platforms that the algorithm is so smart. One thing that I do dislike about Pinterest is that they haven't really versioned up the way that their platform is run in a long time. It kind of reminds me of how something like Craigslist is so efficient in what it does that it never, ever has to change. Pinterest is one of those platforms that I've been going to for years, and I don't think it's had a different experience, more so than the algorithm being updated, I'm sure, in the back end. So if they're trying to get more creativity from the actual content creators, 
there has to be a shift in that. And I think this is their push currently to make it be known that it's not just a feeding tool from larger internet images, but it should be taken seriously for content creators to go to and actually develop custom pieces for the platform. I'm curious. I personally have not interacted with the content on Pinterest, but I'm curious to ask you both as we, before we jump into our next story about Snapchat, which user experience when it comes to looking at content on the platform, do you prefer the the Pinterest uh, platform or the Snapchat content? Kane, do you want to go first? I prefer Pinterest for sure. I don't really use Snapchat in, personally too much anymore, but stemming from a family of designers and interior designers, Pinterest is like the perfect platform. I'm very a visual person. And if I can just click through and go down rabbit holes of different create creativity or, you know, whether it be recipes or whatever, different chairs, you know, I can, I, I love that. So I would, I always choose Pinterest personally over Snapchat when it comes to exploration. Yeah. What do you think, Natalie? I fully agree. I love Pinterest. I think as Kane was kind of saying, Pinterest is so true to itself as a platform and it's just so much fun to, and it really like gives you the opportunity to kind of curate, you know, something so individual and something so specific to what, you know, a person may be looking for. Pinterest all the way. Great. Maybe my assignment this week is to re-engage with Pinterest. All right, let's jump into Snapchat. Kane, tell us about what they're up to with the rising AR. The Rising AR. It's the next Star Wars video, it sounds like. So Snapchat recently partnered with a company called Breakthrough Research, and it conducted a partnership study that dives into how consumers globally in this day and age are consuming AR and how likely it is that AR experiences will influence a couple areas, but specifically their, their shopping experience. So within this research study, the data shows that consumers are over-the-top excited about the possibilities with AR. And AR really is one of those moments that they've identified to help make faster decisions and a likely purchase result once they've used it. So they they studied uh, 7,500 respondents in, globally and covered a shopper's journey within industries like automotive, beauty, entertainment, fashion, travel, etc., and uncovered how the consumer attitudes and behaviors towards brands shift when they actually imagine themselves going through that experience or that shopper journey with AR as part of it. So it's a really interesting study. Very interesting. If you go click on the link in our PDF, I would recommend looking at the data points they have here. A couple of places that I found really interesting when they were going through those verticals, one, of course, fashion. So using AR and being able to see an article of clothing on you to decide in real time if it's actually what you want is a really fascinating area to play in for brands. I know it's been done before. I know Ray-Ban was kind of one of the first brands to tap into that where you could use your Snapchat filter and look at yourself with different Ray-Bans on to help make a decision on which frames you liked. I think that is just the very beginning stages of the potential opportunity. I can imagine Nike jumping into something like that full force. I think having the ability to look at your own feet with different soccer cleats on or um, high high food, high shoes on or all, all types of products is one that I think will really benefit that shopper journey for fashion. Another fascinating one that I thought um, stood out was travel. A lot of people thought that if they could use AR for planning or potential experiences, 
it would help them decide on what they want to do on their trip and really heighten their um, planning experience and shopping journey to really decide on the days that they have, you know, let's say in Hawaii or in Europe. So I think brands need to take this seriously. Obviously, it comes with a high price tag for developing these things. I think Snapchat specifically is trying to make it more attainable. Um, there's a rise in these AR-enabled glasses and really and the huge rise of metaverse and AR experiences that make this kind of even more approachable for brands to at least begin to understand how they could align their process with the shift and where possible, both from budget and capabilities. But the possibilities here are significant. I, I think it's really, really cool to see brands step in here and bring this to life. Um, and if we can start progressing towards this AR experience, um, we could get ahead of these trends and really be, as the brands that we work with at Gray, someone that can be a leader in this space and bring it to life in ways that no one else has yet. Yeah, I think this is one of those things where the, the technology is finally caught up to its use. I mean, this feels like square on in the right way to help brands. Natalie, with with all this that we just learned, what really jumped out to you and how do you think this can help some of the brands that you uh, have worked with or how would you support your brands in the AR space? Um, I absolutely would recommend that brands activate in this kind of AR space. Um, I think, you know, one watch out would make it Something that AR forces you to do is take a look at your brand um, and what it is as it, at its core and make sure you're activating in a way that is true to your brand and what you bring to the table. So I think that's really exciting to look at, you know, how brands kind of hone in on who they are at their core in terms of activating with AR. Kane, did you have anything else on this one? Yeah, I think one last piece here that the study didn't really tap into is how you could benefit this for, for health one area that we focus on at Gray is the health and wellness space. And with AR, I think there's a huge untapped creative exploration around how you bring to life shifting of health. So let's just say you have, like we work with a brand right now that's for alopecia, which means you have chronic hair loss. So with this therapy that we have, we can actually show somebody the benefits of a product and show them that know medically accurate information that would show them what her hair on their head that would come from using a specific therapy or something that brings to life the health benefits a bit more or showing progression or showing positive change um, personally that isn't necessarily a shopper's journey but can still leverage AR in a way that brings a brand into the fold that highlights a positive result for the user. Yeah. And Natalie, I think also having touched a little bit in the healthcare space, you know, something we look at as a goal too is awareness. And I think we can look at it at AR as a way to drive awareness for, you know, potential conditions, um, you know, vaccinations, whatever it may be. Well, that was great. I think that Snapchat, again, is winning the game when it comes to where they are in the tech space with AR. And so only good things to come there. All right, friends. We are getting closer and closer to the end of the year, which means it is that fun time when we all get our Spotify wrapped. And a bit of a tradition here on the show, we'll talk about our Spotify wrapped and talk about any surprises that came up. Sometimes it gets a little personal, but it could also be a little bit fun. Kane, let's start with you. Any surprises in your top five bands? So I had a really interesting shift personally this year and i became a country guy 
which hasn't ever been something I've been interested in. So this year, I actually have my top two of my top five are country artists. Wow. And you know, you, you listen to music all year and you don't even think about who you're listening to. And then at the end of the year, you're like, wait a sec, I listened to that song that many times. How is that even possible? But yeah, I, I have shifted from like, you know, rock acoustic kind of uh, folk music into like pretty much hardcore country, which is a, a big shock to me, but I'm for it. I'm letting it ride. That's awesome. That's awesome. Natalie, how about you? Any surprises this year? I hate to say that I am almost afraid to look at my rap for this year. Um, I would imagine it would include a lot of show tunes, uh, maybe a little bit of the 1975's new album. Um, but Kane, wow, shift into country. And for it to be top two, major shift. I love that. I love that. My uh, No surprises for me, really, in the top artists. But what is interesting is that when you look at this, it makes sense because my number one band... This is so, I feel expected, is the Beatles. Like, it's it's almost so expected that it was not expected because I can think back to, and this is what I was going to say, is that with my top five, you can almost uh, relate them right back to road trips, right? So if you're interested in a band that day and, you know, uh, they've got a huge catalog like the Beatles, we, I was in a, we were on a road trip and in a Beatles mood and... And so that's how they made it to the top. And also not surprising, my number three is Beyonce because we had a Beyonce road trip where we listened to Beyonce for a while. Um, so anyway, always fun to talk about the Spotify wrapped. I'm sure everyone is now sick of seeing it on all of your friends' social media, but just thought we'd let you in on what's going on with us over here on the podcast. All right, friends, if you don't already... Be sure to follow us, share us, review us, like us, write to us with your questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, or complaints, or just send us a thing you want us to talk about. And you can do all of that by emailing us at podcasts at gray.com. Of course, I want to thank Kane and Natalie for joining us. Natalie, join us again soon. Let's make it a thing. And as always, I want to thank Danielle Hunt, Samantha Geller, Amanda Fuentes and the crew over at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes. And finally, thank you, listener, truly. We will be back next week. And in the meantime, be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes with post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by Christina Hyde and Liz McGovern. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.